please turn to Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took forth their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. And the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. The door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Good morning again, church. Your Bibles, again to Matthew 25. And Jacob read nicely. We'll just read it one more time just to, to keep it in memory. If we can just, one more time, one more time, stand. Matthew 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for your lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, and go ye rather to them that sell. And buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore. For ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Father God, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your precious word. God, we ask that you would just give us insight uh, into this passage. Help us to know what you would want us to know, Lord, and how we should respond. God, I pray your spirit upon me, upon us all. Give me the words to speak. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Not too long ago, we looked at another parable, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And we looked at resting in the sovereignty of God. And we said a parable was what? A parable was a story with two meanings. And every detail in the parable represents something. And every parable essentially has at least at least one point. Uh, and it usually comes at the end. And here in verse 13, we, say, we see, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's the point of the, the whole parable. 
Jesus is stressing the state of readiness that every Christian should be in for his coming. And when I say he stresses this, he says it actually starting from Matthew 24, in verse 42, in verse 44, 50, and then here in 13, Matthew 25, 1, 13. But what, is, what does it look like to be in constant readiness? I mean, does, does Jesus want us to stand in attention until he comes? In, you know, the Marines have what's called an ACB, an Air Contingency Battalion. And, and what they do is, um, there's a rotation of, of platoons in the battalion that at a moment's notice, they are deployed anywhere, anytime in the world for any conflict. It's an Air Contingency Battalion. And they only have two hours. I went out to get from wherever they are to the place of deployment to go wherever they need to go. Two hours to get all their equipment, all their weapons, and all their gear and ammo. Two hours. They literally have to be ready physically and psychologically. They can't enjoy you know, their, their, their time during the day because they don't know when they're going to get called. You know, th- that's their reality they live in. They need to be ready for any conflict at any time of the day. And they don't have much time to get ready and prepare. Why is Jesus giving us this parable? Why is he, what prompts him to do so? In verse 1 it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. The parable of the ten virgins is not a description of the kingdom. It's what it's going to be like when Christ returns. And when, it's, when, the, when Jesus says then, it's actually, he's connecting it to what's going on in chapter 24, where it says, starting in verse 45, who then is a wise, faithful and wise servant? Matthew 24:45. who then is a faithful and wise servant whom the Lord, his Lord, hath made ruler over his household to give him the meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But the, And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion." with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is describing two, two different servants. A faithful servant and an evil servant. The wise and faithful servant is described as being what? One appointed to his master's household. And how is he found? He's found faithful, serving. The evil servant said, Ah, my master delays his coming. And what does he do? He hangs out with the drunkard and eats with them. And that's actually implying that he too is getting drunk. You know, that word eat is not like just regular eating. That word is like devouring. You know, he's like just devouring everything in front of him. And he's just getting drunk and eating with uh, these people. You know, we have a word in Italian. It's called um, agavone. A gavon is someone who just like pigs out and eats everything in front of him. It's not really a nice thing to be called an Italian a gavon. Um, so this was this evil servant. Do you see how Christ labels him? What, how does he label him? He labels him a hypocrite. He was an unbeliever masquerading as a servant of God. So how was the wife... Servant found faithful? How was he found watchful, actually? How was the faithful servant found watching? Well, he was found faithful, faithfully serving. The evil servant said, I'm going to have some fun. The master is not coming back anytime soon. And it's in this context that Jesus is giving this parable of the ten virgins. So who are the main characters? Who are the characters in this parable? The bridegroom, right? Who is none other than Christ, the Son of God. And then you have two groups of virgins, the five 
wise virgins and the five foolish virgins. If we are to understand uh, at least the meaning of this parable and the key to this parable, we need to understand who these virgins represent. Who the five virgins, the, wise, the five wise virgins represent and the five foolish virgins represent. You know, we, get, we can't actually, there's a lot of detail in this parable on who these virgins are. Let's look at the similarities. What's, what's similar about these virgins? Well, they're all virgins. <laughs> Each and every one of them is a virgin. Uh, they all took their lamps. They all went forth to meet the, the bridegroom. They all slumbered and slept. They all heard the midnight cry. They all arose to trim their lamps. And this is one actually I, I never kind of realized and thought about, but it's in verse 8. They all had lamps burning with oil. That was, that was kind of a, um, a surprise to me. Let's look at the differences. What are the differences between these two groups of virgins? Well, one took a vessel of oil and one did not. That's the only difference. There's not much to differentiate these two groups of virgins, not much, at least except for this vessel of oil. So why do these ten virgins, who do these ten virgins represent? Well, who in the Bible do we read that are commanded to be watchful? Turn to Mark 13. Mark 13. In starting verse 32. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Verse 34, for the Son of Man is as a wise man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the, ma when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming, suddenly he find you sleeping, and that I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Who in 34, in verse 34, are commanded to watch? Well, the first one is in authority. Who did he, who did he leave in authority? Did he leave unbelievers in authority? Or, or did this, does God lead, uh, leave believers in authority? Well, look at Matthew. You don't, have to look, you don't have to go there. Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, or all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, literally, go ye likewise with the same authority, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. God gave authority to believers, not unbelievers. Who's the second group? And he gave every man his work. Who has God given work to? Well, John actually, in the book of John, no, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus gives a parable of the two sons in Matthew, Matthew 21, 28. What does he say? Son, go today to work in my vineyard. So who is to go to work in the Lord's vineyard? His, his children. His, these are believers. We are not to be idle in the Lord's vineyard. It's not non-believers that are to work in the Lord's vineyard. And finally, we see the porters. The porters were told to watch. Who were the porters? Well, they were the doorkeepers in the temple. They were the gatekeepers of the city. They had the key. They had the key to open and close the door. This word porter, um, Jesus uses this word porter in John chapter 10, where it says, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. The, the porter provides entrance for the sheep into the sheepfold. He has the key to open and close the door. The porter is the one to watch, to pronounce admission. 
The porter of the sheephold does not represent an unbeliever. It, he represents a believer. So we can conclude that those who are told to watch are who? Believers. All ten virgins were to be watchful. All ten virgins were, went forth to meet the bridegroom. But only five took, their, took vessels of oil. Now we know oil in the Bible is very significant, right? In Leviticus, all through actually Leviticus, we see that oil was mingled with the meat offerings and the trespass offerings. In Jeremiah, in, in, uh, Jeremiah 31 and Hebrew 1, we see that oil was a symbol of riches and joy and health. In Leviticus 8, Moses anoints Aaron with oil. In Exodus 30, oil was associated with an holy anointing. In the passage we all know or should know, we're familiar with, 1 Samuel 16, 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now remember, in, in a parable, every detail means something. It represents something. The oil in this, par- in this parable signifies the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some might say that the oil represents faith, or some people might say it's righteousness. It doesn't matter, really. Ultimately, it differentiated between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. Now, although, and remember, although Christ has given this to, to the, um, in the New Testament to his disciples, and they don't know of the church, right? The church is not known here at this time. But we can apply this parable to the church. So, who are these, these virgins meaning in the church? Well, there are groups of Christians that are sincerely, truly anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, and there's Christians who are not filled with the Spirit of God. Remember, the virgins looked really identical, except for one thing. They all did the same thing, every, every one of them. It was just one that had, the, five, the group of five that had just that oil. But they were basically the same. So there's nothing, and you know, there's nothing in this parable, really, and you think about, you know, people like to deceive, right? People like to deceive and be deceptive, but there is really no deception in the, in the foolish virgins. They didn't want to trick the bridegroom. There, there was no trickery here. Uh, they all took their lamps, they were all, uh, that had oil, uh, and they were all ready uh, to go. And they all heard the cry at midnight. They all arose to trim the lamps. But what? They had no mind to do what was necessary to be ready. They had no mind to do what was necessary to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. In Marines, when I graduated boot camp, um, all Marines went to what's called SOI, School of Infantry. And why? Because every Marine is, usually, is really a basic infantryman first. Whether you're in communications, whether you're in motor T, uh, a cook, um, you are ready in, in, in the event of a war, a rifle is handed to you and you can, you, you're, you're a rifleman, you're an infantryman. That is a basic Marine. So, after boot camp, we went to SOI, and it was like 30 days, like a month full of this, of this training. The training was basically uh, to get ready for war. One aspect of the training was we had to go on 20-mile humps. A hump is basically you're in full gear, full pack, uh, and the pack is like 50, 60 pounds, and, and you just, it's like a forced march. It's, just take, it's like a, a really fast, fast march up and down hills. It was miserable. It was literally miserable. We, I mean, I had blood blisters all over my feet every single time we went. One time, I actually lost about half my toenails. Uh, but they grew back. They grew back. Uh, thank God. I felt like um, Wolverine from, from the X-Men. So it was a miserable, a miserable thing to, to experience. Um, but it was necessary to prepare in the event of war. So one day, the, um, the, our, our unit leader comes and says, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, get ready, we're going on a 20-mile hump. So everybody's like, oh, no. And so we're all in the barracks getting ready and preparing. We're all, we're all putting, and, and we're told actually what to put in, 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 the, um, in our packs, okay? 
But you know what some Marines did? They stuffed their pack with pillows. Pillows and blankets. I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. But like, you know, this is training. You know, we're really getting training for wards. This is serious stuff, right? But they packed, not everybody, not everyone, but there's some Marines who packed their, their packs with pillows. So we all, we all go out in formation, and we all, we all start humping, and we, you know, we hump 20 miles to nowhere and back, and by the time we're back, it's about lunchtime. So instead of going back to the barracks, we went to the mess hall, so we went to have lunch. So, and again, it, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole uh, company, so like multiple, multiple platoons. So when we came back, uh, we kind of put all our gear uh, nice and neat, um, on this road, and we went out went to the mess hall to eat. When we came back, it was all moved. Apparently, there was um, kind of a truck convoy that came, and, had a, and, and we were blocking the road. So the unit leaders, uh, um, they went out. They, they stayed actually outside. Used, again, in the Marine Corps, actually in the military, um, you know, the, the, lower, the lower people eat first, and then, and then the um, sergeants and above eat, eat last. So there was all these unit leaders outside. So we were eating inside. Who was going to move the packs? They did. And guess what? There were some very light packs. And, and the light packs got put in a separate location. Well, they paid for it. They paid for it. You see, those Marines didn't want to do what was necessary to be ready for war. These virgins didn't want to do what was necessary to meet the bridegroom. So this morning, I want to look at just two, two simple truths that this parable teaches on how to be found watching, how to be found watching for the bridegroom. First one is easy. Take oil with your lamps. Take oil with your lamps. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. What does it mean to take oil in your vessel? Well, out of the 19 times that the word vessel is used in the New Testament, nine, uh, nine times it refers to the body. Well, we already know what... So, so Jesus is using this, this, uh, the word vessel as a metaphor for, for our bodies, right? Uh, we already know what oil signifies. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, rightly, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, Right? So, and it's clear in verse 8 that all the lamps, all the lamps already had oil. They all started off with some level of oil burning. You know, everyone starts off in life with the ability to know God and to understand God. Everyone. Romans 1.19 Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God had showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There's a knowledge of God that every single human being is responsible for. This is a natural revelation. Creation is a natural revelation of God. We, whether you're a believer or not, we're responsible for that. We have no excuse not to believe in God. Creation, we, we, we know at least God's, one of God's attributes, and, and, and it says here in Romans, His eternal power and Godhead. We know God's attributes, God's nature by His creation. And we're responsible for that information. The heavens do declare the glory of God. Through his creation, we, we are responsible to know who God is. The parable tells us that, they only, that only five of the virgins take oil in their vessels. How do they even know to take oil? Did they do this before? <laughs> we have to know something about uh, the marriage customs in the Middle East. So there's a betrothal period. So when two people want to get married, there's a betrothal period, right? There's an, it's an engagement. It's an engagement. So the husband goes and prepares the house for the wife. Well, as he does that, and, and that can be like a year to, to several years. So, but the wife prepares too. 
right? There's a lot of things a wife does, a woman does, to prepare to be married. One of the things the custom was, the bride-to-be prepared lamps with oil for the bridesmaids. Why? Although she knew her husband was coming one day, she knew neither the day nor the hour. He can come at the middle of the night, one, two o'clock in the morning, right? In which case, the bridesmaids would have to go out and lead the way, light the path to the wedding feast. And this is where we are in the parable. The call was made, the bridegroom is coming, it's the middle of the night, and the bridesmaid, they heard the cry, they were ready, trimmed their lamps, and they went out. All the virgins started off with their lamps burning with oil. By the way, what, what is, what's a lamp represent? What do you think a lamp represents? Very good, Joe. 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. That word is a lamp unto thy feet. Proverbs 23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Jesus here is, is, is using a lamp as a metaphor for the word of God. So all virgins, all ten virgins started off with their lamps burning with oil, but five took oil in their vessel. This word took is translated 118 times in the New Testament as receive or received. So what's Jesus implying here? All people have the knowledge of God and his word, which has, by the way, the power of salvation for all men, right? Romans 1.16. But not all people receive the oil. Not all people receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The parable clearly shows it's not just a lamp that gets us into the wedding feast. It's both. It's got to be the lamp and the oil. It's not just a knowledge of the Word of God, but you have to have the anointing of God as well. You know, 20 years ago, we had a... Um, uh, a really powerful preacher come, uh, a Baptist, a fundamental Baptist preacher come um, to preach to our church. And it was right around 9-11. And he was, he was dynamic. He was a powerful, dynamic preacher. He was strong. Anybody could um, move um, a congregation. It was this guy. He was this powerful. He also had a national prison ministry, a, a, and he also had a, along with the national uh, prison ministry, he had a chaplaincy program. So he had, he would have like weeks of uh, training, training for chaplaincy. And you physically got a, a chaplaincy card, uh, and actually Pastor and I graduated from that chaplaincy course, uh, and we were going to minister in the federal prison in Brooklyn. Um, not too long ago, uh, well, maybe several years ago, he was in the news. I'm going to read something to you. As an instructor of, of and, and by the way, he was, he was involved in, um, uh, in criminal justice. He was very prominent in criminal justice. So as an instructor at the FBI Academy, and this is talking about this gentleman, I'm not gonna refer, I'll refer to him as John Smith. I don't want to use his name, uh, John Smith, no relation to Adrian Smith. Um, <laughs> But I don't want to uh, give his name. So as an instructor at the FBI Academy, an, an adjunct professor in criminal justice and behavioral science at four universities, the holder of a law degree on top of a master's in criminal justice and a former deputy sheriff in both Philadelphia and Chicago, John Smith became a popular speaker at the annual conference of the National Gang Crimes Research Center. His expertise was wide-ranging. At, least, at last year's conference, John Smith was scheduled to teach eight sessions over three days on topics ranging from hostage negotiations and profiling hostage takers to investigating international human rights violations, monitoring and combating trafficking in persons. John Smith was also the man to see about arranging ride-alongs with Chicago police officers. And as the founder and chief executive officer of this prison ministry, John Smith could be found schmoozing at a reception held for Christian gang specialists. Among the hundreds of law enforcement personnel drawn to the annual conference from all over the world, 
John Smith's presence was unmistakable. This guy was really, really prominent person. Uh, at least, like you would know, his presence was like he came in. His presence just demanded uh, attention. So it was unusual that two local FBI agents working at the bureau's out of the bureau's south suburban office asked a mutual acquaintance for an introduction to John Smith. On the day before the conference started, two agents met him at the hotel for a casual conversation. John Smith joked that one of the agents, who was wearing a dark business suit, a white shirt, and a red tie, dressed even more like an FBI agent than he did. The talk turned to John Smith's time at the FBI National Academy. He said he would, he would never forget June 1990 when he took part in the 160th session of the Academy. On the last day of the conference, the two agents returned as John Smith stood before a conference a conference room preparing to teach Islam, terrorism, and its integration into organized crime groups. They placed John Smith under arrest and led him away. The strange saga of John Smith is also a slippery one, as hard to pin down as the man himself. Men of God? Genius? All three? Let's see, is my battery going dead? No. Genius, all three. As it turned out, John Smith, 49, never taught at the FBI Academy. As claimed in his conference biography, never attended it or the 160th session or any other. He was not an adjunct professor at even one university. He didn't hold a degree in law or criminal justice. Just about the only thing true about John Smith claim, John Smith's claimed background is that he was indeed the founder and chief executive officer of this prison, prison ministry. Now he can truthfully say or add felon to his resume. In March, a federal judge sentenced John Smith to two months in prison for impersonating an FBI agent. The two agents who uh, approached him before the conference were, an undercover, were on an undercover assignment, acting on a tip. What's more, John Smith, a fundamental Baptist preacher espousing a fire and brimstone view of justice, had been inter, uh, impersonating, impersonating law enforcement for years. The first question, why? But it succeeded immediately by another, how did many people get duped? One of the lawyers who represented John Smith uh, said, the moral of the story is that there, are a lot of there was a lot of tragedy that led all to all this. It was likely his wannabe attitude about the whole thing. John Smith was, was just revered the FBI and would have loved to be part of it. And he had been so close to law enforcement that slipping into that identification probably just seemed like an easy thing to do. For a man who once offered so many answers and insights about crime, John Smith struck a vastly different note at his sentencing. And I'll quote him. Someone would ask me, well, why did you do it? Are you crazy? Who else would throw away salvation, a ministry, open doors, trust, relationships, and the honor to stand up and teach people constitutional law from the Bible. He never offered the court an answer. Well, can I, answer, can I provide one, uh, one, one answer? He didn't have his vessel filled with oil. He didn't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, it's important to know whether or not you're saved. Amen. It's not just head knowledge. And this guy knew the Bible. You know, uh, ever hear pastor when he says, when, when the Bible says um, that Jesus was moved with compassion and you often time hear pastors say, you know, that, that's like the moral equivalent of a physical cardiac arrest. You've heard pastors say that? It came from him. 
He's the one actually that we heard it from. The guy was a genius. He knew the Bible really good. But in any event, um, we need to know and understand. And, and my notes somehow got mixed up. Because I want to go through. I want to, here it is, I found it. I have five ways you can examine yourself and know for sure whether you're saved. Five ways. If you, if you write nothing today, write, please write this. Five ways to examine yourself and make sure you have salvation. First one, by your speech. By your speech. I'm still not clear. By your speech. Matthew 26:69. Now Peter sat without... And I'm just going to read to, get, to get, give you context. Now Peter sat without in the place, and a damsel came unto him, saying, That also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto him, that were there, uh, said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, they that stood by and said unto Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Or your speech gives you away. Your speech is evidence that you were with Jesus. So, when you spend time with Christ, when you spend time with Jesus, it's evident. It, it should be evident in the way you speak. We shouldn't be speaking like the world speaks. Number two, by the treatment of others, by the treatment of others, John 9.22. These words speak to his parents. Oh, this is when uh, the, the man born blind, remember Jesus healed the man born, born blind and he went in front of the, the religious leaders and they, and they flipped. Um, and they went to his parents. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did, did, did confess that he was the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I, I know not. And, and one thing I know, that where was I was blind, now I see. Then said they again to him, what did he do to thee? He opened, how he opened thine eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but ye... But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why? Wow. Herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he had opened mine eyes. Now when we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the word began, since the world began, when began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And this is a blind man teaching the, 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 uh, the religious leaders. Uh, this man, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Then they answered and said unto him, That was altogether born in iniquity and sin, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. They cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when they had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Jesus said unto him, Thou hast seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. When we believe in God and worship him, we're going to be kicked out of some circles, some certain circles. Uh, we're not going to be welcomed anymore in certain places. I remember my ex-girlfriend's stepfather, when I became a Christian, said to me, Carmen, I don't know what it is. I, I can't be with you anymore. I, I, and he said that. And I said, I didn't do anything. But I, I just knew it was the Spirit of God that was convicted, convict, convicting him. So 
you may, we, we may not be welcomed anymore in certain circles solely because of our faith in Christ. Three, a desire to share the gospel with the lost. A desire to share the gospel. If you're truly born again, you will have a desire to share the gospel with the lost. Matthew 4.18 And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And they said unto them, Follow me, and I will make ye fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Do you have a love, a love for lost souls and a desire to tell people about Christ? Number four, a strong desire for God's word, a strong desire for God's word. First Peter 2.1 Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies, envies and evil doings, evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Are you daily desiring God's word? And are you maturing? If we're truly born again and we truly have the spirit of God, his anointing, we naturally will want and desire the word of God. And naturally, we're going to grow spiritually. It's just, it's just natural. Finally, are you daily confessing your sins? First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not saying to sin every day so we can confess. Are you aware of your sin in your life and are actively bringing it to Christ, actively bringing it to Christ and confessing it? Do we have a hatred for our sin? If you're not truly born again, you will not do any one of these five things. I promise you, I guarantee you. So, how are we to, found, to be found watchful when the bridegroom comes? Well, take your oil, uh, light your lamp, and have your oil. Number two, hold your relationship with Christ dear to you. Hold your relationship with Christ dear to you. The foolish virgins asked, Please give us some of your oil. Ours have run out. Well, you would think the five virgins would, you know, would be kind of kind and compassionate, right? And, and give some of their oil. But, you know, their response was actually a good response. And, and, you know, it makes sense. So it wouldn't have been enough for both of them. Then the bridegroom comes and they would not be able to uh, light the path for the bridegroom to meet the bride. And they will go into the festivities, the wedding festivities together, right? That was the, the marriage custom in the Middle East. The bridegroom uh, would come, the bridemaids would come out, light the path, and all of them would go into the wedding feast together. Not so, unless there is not enough for both of us. And besides... It was their oil. They didn't want to part with it. They, didn't, they, they weren't just going to give it up. It was precious to them. You know, um, so when I was 18, uh, I had a girlfriend, and we spent a whole lot of time together. A whole lot of time. Um, so that was, so I, and then around, around maybe 20 or 21, I got a dog. Um, it was a Rhodesian Ridgeback. Everybody know what a Rhodesian Ridgeback is? Joe, I know you know. So it's an, it's an African hound dog, right? Uh, they were used actually for hunting puma and buck and lion. The, 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 uh, the hunters would send them out in packs to keep um, lions uh, at bay. This is the kind of dog it was. It was a beautiful dog. I loved, I loved my dog, Muggsy. And uh, so you have a dog. What do you do? You take care of your dog, right? My girlfriend got jealous. Right? She said, you spent more time with your dog. But you know where I got the dog from? Her. She gave me the dog. So I'm taking care of the dog that she gave me, and she's yelling at me that I spent too much time with the dog. You know, my dad worked. Um, he worked seven days a week. He was a baker. So, uh, you know, he'd leave in the morning, and he'd come back at night. So, and Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know... There was shopping to be done, right? So I took my mom shopping, even on a, on a Saturday, every Saturday, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, because uh, my, my mom didn't drive. 
So, you know, we had beepers back then. Remember beepers? Um, my ex-girlfriend would beep me. Where are you? She would even be jealous of me taking my mom shopping, right? And I thought about that. She was probably right, though. She, she must have loved me. And she probably, you know, thought I was precious to her. And, you know, she wanted my undivided time and attention. So, yeah, 50 years later, I get it. Um, so, but this is how the virgins were, this is how the virgins were with their oil. You see, this is how the virgins, it was precious to them. They didn't want to give it up. They didn't want to just give it away. It served a purpose. We have the anointing of God. It serves a purpose. It's precious to us. Does God see us holding our relationship with his son dear to our hearts? Is the anointing of his spirit precious to us? Are we allowing the spirit to serve a purpose? Or are we compromising our relationships, um, our relationship and giving our oil away to the pleasures of this life? Think about that. Being found watchful is having a continual intimacy with Christ. Remember, remember the Air Contingency Battalion? These men always had to be prepared to go to war or any conflict or anything at, at, at a moment's notice. Being watchful is having a continual intimacy and a desire for God. Does the bridegroom know who the virgins are, who the bridesmaids are? He has no clue. He doesn't know. He has no idea. All he knows is my bride-to-be is preparing her bridesmaids uh, to come out to meet me with their lamps. He doesn't know who it is. The, the bridegroom doesn't know. He knows the bridesmaids by how? By what? The lamp and the oil. The burning lamp. He has no idea who the bridesmaids are. And God knows who are his. Second Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every, every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In closing, I want to go to Matthew. Matthew 7. You can turn there. You know, this parable ends with four really bad words. With four really bad words. I know you not. Matthew 7:21. Not even one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Beloved, will you be found watching for the bridegroom? Make sure you have oil in your vessels and hold your intimacy with Christ dear to your hearts. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you uh, for this parable of the ten virgins. Thank you, dear God, for the power that your word has to lead people to salvation. Thank you, dear God, for the power of your spirit. Lord, we know there's a seal upon us, a signet. Lord, you have a signet upon us. Those who truly are carrying oil in their vessels. Lord, it's not head knowledge. But it's the fact that we have your spirit.
within us. You, Lord, have given us. We have received your Spirit. Lord, help us to examine our hearts. We've been coming to church for years, some of us for years. Are we truly born again? Are we truly saved? With head bowed and eyes closed, think about the five things that we looked at. Your speech. How is your speech? Does it represent Christ? Or does it represent the world? The Antichrist. Our scripture memory. Are we deceived? And is is there deception in our speech? By the treatment of others, do we get treated just like the world? Or we get treated like a Christian, like that one man, that man born blind that was cast out of the synagogue? Do we have a desire to share the gospel with the lost? Do you sincerely really have a, a love for the gospel? Yeah, yeah, sure. You can go out to give out tracts on Tuesdays, but are you doing it because everyone else does it and because, you know, it's the thing to do? Or that you really, really want to see lost people come to Christ? You genuinely have a sincere love for someone going to hell. Do you have a strong desire for God's Word? Sure, I know. We can't... We have busy lives and sometimes we miss. Are you daily reading the Bible? And not just daily reading. Are you looking forward? Are you anticipating? You know, the one thing I like about going to work, to the office, is going home. Why? A good home-cooked meal. <laughs> I love my mother's cooking. It was something for me to look forward to after work. Do we look forward to the Word of God? You know, do you go to bed? I, I, mean, I can't wait for tomorrow morning. Get up and read, God's, and read God's Word. Are you daily confessing sin? No one's here is perfect. No one is, no one, no one is saying you must be... There's no such thing as sinless perfection. Okay? But we do want to sin less. And we do want to mature as we're reading, as we're spending time with Christ. We do want to mature. Yeah, you can have all the knowledge of the Bible. And you know what? Still go to hell. You can. I'm not saying this to scare anybody, but the door was shut. When the bridesmaids went in, the door was shut. What did, you, what did the, the, the bridegroom say? I don't know you. I don't know you. You know, that parable is not just for every other church, but this church. The parable is for us. You know, I know of a, of a, of a preacher um, in one of the five boroughs. He passed at a church and he confessed that he wasn't saved. A preacher confessed that he was not saved. It's not strange. Beloved, I'll ask this question. And I'm not saying this for you to doubt your salvation. I'm not. But I am saying it as, as it says in Peter make your calling and election sure. Okay. Are you sure you're saved today? Are you 110% sure you're born again? If you cannot say you can, for sure say you are, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. Just so we can pray for you. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? We do not know the day or the hour. I don't care what you believe about the rapture. Yeah, yes, Jesus will come for his church. Absolutely. 
but we don't know when. Don't waste time, please. I'm going to pray for you. The one that raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you. Anyone else? The one who raised their hand, only if you're willing, I don't want to embarrass you. Only if you're willing, if you want to come up and maybe have someone talk to you about the Bible. If not, that's okay. You can come actually to me after service and I can um, talk, have someone talk with you. So you don't have to come down, but if you do, I will have someone right now speak with you and just open the Bible and talk on how for sure you know you're saved. Okay, let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I know we probably went over, but God, a soul is precious. A lost soul is precious. Dear God, the person who raised their hand, open up their eyes and their hearts to your truth. May this day, June 12th, 2022, be the day of their salvation. This person might have knowledge of the Bible, but never really knew what it means to be saved. Father, I pray in Christ's name that you would pour out your spirit upon this one person, that this person would genuinely, sincerely desire a relationship with you and that you would change their lives and that, Lord, when you return, they too would be seated with you at the wedding feast. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So I'll sing uh, one stanza for the song, Search Me, O oh God. so we'll keep it to one, one um, uh, stanza. Father God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Lord, we are grateful that um, you have allowed us this time in your word. Thank you for the parable. Lord, it was a blessing to study it. Lord, there's so much more we didn't even cover uh, in this parable. But Lord, I, again, my heart goes out to the one who did raise their hand. I pray that they would stay in fellowship. Um, and, and meet, um, meet your people. Lord, we are a loving people. We are real people. We have real lives uh, and real stories. So God, grant your peace upon this person. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. There is refreshments. So there's coffee and I think uh, other things out there. So please stay. Stick around.